I'm Dave Rubin and this is The Rubin Report. Quick reminder everyone to subscribe to our YouTube channel and click that pesky notification bell so that you see our videos. And joining me today is the host of Hannity on Fox News as well as the host of the Sean Hannity radio show and author of the new book, Live Free or Die, America and the World on the Brink. Sean Hannity, finally, welcome to The Rubin Report. No, I, well, thank you for having me. Thank you also because you have been an incredible addition to the TV show. We got to get you on radio more. Um, part of our, we have a regular ensemble cast. You're now a part of that. Um, our audience loves you. The feedback's phenomenal. I know how popular this podcast is. Uh, you are outspoken, iconoclastic, uh, a free thinker. Uh, independent, believe in freedom and liberty and free speech, and you're not part of the cancel culture and boycott and shut everybody down that you disagree with. And and frankly, isn't it crazy that we conservatives are those guys that we're the ones? No, I, I don't want to cancel anybody, boycott anybody, or get anyone fired. Let people decide. Let people have freedom of choice. Yeah. Well. I suppose I could just let you go and say nice things about me, but I'll, I'll okay, start I'll with that because. I actually, I, I got the book yesterday. I, I read about half of it so far, but I want to start with exactly what you just said there because you said it to me on air a couple weeks ago and I thought it made a really good point that you get boycotted all the time. You know, Media Matters and the rest of these guys, they're constantly coming after you, trying to take you out, take out your sponsors, et cetera, et cetera. But you personally never call for a boycott for any of the guys that are doing far worse stuff, in my opinion, than you're doing. Could you just talk a little bit about what it's like to just be in that machine all the time, just be in that atmosphere of boycotts and the rest of it all the time? I think your audience needs to know something, because I don't talk about it a lot. Um, every single second, every word I say, and every conservative is saying, on airways, but it seems like Fox, talk radio, podcasts like yours, you, trust me, you are going to experience a lot of this as your popularity is growing by leaps and bounds. You already got feet. I get, I get my share. You get yeah. your share, I've, and I've seen it. And what people don't know is literally millions and millions of dollars are being spent to record every single word we say in the hopes that we say one word, one phrase, one sentence, one paragraph that either they don't like or they'll take out of context or they'll clip so that they could either boycott us to make us financially um, not not viable, which, you know, there is a business aspect of being on the air. It's not cheap to be on the air, whether it's a podcast, a radio show or a TV show, because they want to silence you. I, I can give you my track record going back to the time that Bill Maher. Now, I'll be very frank. I hate Bill Maher. I, I don't like his show. I think it's gotten worse. <laughs> I think he's radical, extreme. I disagree with pretty much everything that's come out of his mouth. I've had him on a get, as a guest a number of times. Uh, but I, I do respect his iconoclastic style. I do respect that he'll say things that he knows will upset people. But it was people like myself when ABC was canceling Politically Incorrect uh, mm -hmm. that said, no, don't cancel this literally standing up for him. Now, we'll never get credit for that. I've never had or witnessed liberals or liberal groups. Now, they say they're for free speech. They, they're pro-choice, but they're not. Because every time there is any effort to boycott any conservative voice, libertarian voice, or any voice they just don't like, it's always, okay, 
we got to get them fired, get them canceled, boycott them so they're financially they're not viable anymore. And then ultimately what the goal is to get their voice off the air. Every single prominent conservative, this is not a small effort. We are talking about tens and tens of millions of dollars to do this. And it's done, it's an intimidation tactic. And it's funny because I could tell you, I give you a long list of people that, for example, I had a huge Twitter feud with Jimmy Kimmel that went on for a while. Mm -hmm. And, and I went at him hard. And I reminded him of all the stupid things that he said. It all started because he was making fun of Melania Trump's accent when she was reading books to children. I'm like, are we really going to pick on women? And then I brought up all the old videos of him, uh, you know, as Carl Malone, you know, yeah, right? Face, yeah. Yeah, put, yeah, putting like cucumbers in his pants and approaching women from, from old shows he did. And then I would always hashtag Disney because I always knew Disney had no appetite for uh, controversy, not to get him fired, but to send a message. You're going to be a jackass. I can be a jackass back. Now, when he really came under fire recently and apologized for that older skit as it relates to Carlman alone, uh, like Jimmy Fallon did a year earlier, not once did I even comment on it. I stayed out of it. I had had my fight with him. I'm not a boycotter. I'm not a canceler. I actually believe that people should have the freedom of choice. People have to choose to listen to my radio show, watch my TV Mm -hmm. show, and sign up for your podcast, which is enormously popular. It's one of the most popular podcasts out there now, and all credit to you, but you're a target too. Why is it the left doesn't stand up for freedom and liberty and free thought and expression and and the free open exchange of, of ideas? You know, I'll say this, too. They act like they're so outraged. Donald Trump outrages them. They wake up, Donald Trump says this or that. They're outraged. It is selective, feigned moral outrage. It's not real. It is phony. It is it is selective because they want to act all outraged. They're not that outraged. If you're that offended by what you're hearing on the radio or watching on TV or choosing to watch on a podcast, if you don't like it, turn the dial. I don't want people turning the dial. I actually, I want to build my audience. Um, But I'm not going to compromise who I am, what I want to say, or the values I stand for, because they're going to try to intimidate me and silence my voice. I'm not going to allow, I am going to fight till my dying breath, but I'll also fight for their right to do and say what they want to say. They've lied, you know, the media in general, they've 99% of them, have been lying to the American people from the day that Donald Trump and Melania Trump came down that escalator at Trump Tower. You know, it has been lies and smears and slander and besmirchment and libel and character assassination. It has been conspiracy theories, one false conspiracy theory after another, one hoax after another. You want to talk about hypocrisy? I'll give you breathtaking hypocrisy if you want me to keep going here because... All right, well, even though I know you don't talk about this that often, as long as we've sort of done the boycott thing, can you just talk about the personal side of it? Because one of the things that now that I've done more of the cable news shows and I've gotten to know some of you guys, you know, I think the average person doesn't really think you guys are human. Like there's sort of this feeling like you guys just live in that box. You live in that box and they only know you as the as that personality, right? They know you, Sean Hannity, on the Hannity program. He talks, he goes, he interviews. 
But can you just talk a little bit about the personal cost of just dealing with that nonsense all the time? Um, you know, for me personally, whatever switch maybe you're supposed to have that you're, you're, you care about what you read about yourself, I, I, I tell, it's, it's interesting, I'll back up and tell you a backdoor story to get to your answer, is that there always be new people. I'm, I'm like the old guard at Fox. I've been there since October 96 when we went on the air. I'm, I'm sort of like the, the, the veteran on the team, right? But there'll always be new people that come in, work at Fox, and I always try to be nice and helpful, whatever I can do to help people. I, I'm a believer that it's not a zero-sum game, a rising tide lifts all boats. My success is not predicated on other people's failure. I've never believed that at all. I, I champion and cheer people's success. But inevitably, they get to that moment where they're on the air, and then they get the first negative article, or they get the first attack, and they are broken up, and they're in pieces. And I'm like, okay, first of all, welcome to the big leagues. Congratulations. Yeah. Wear it as a badge of honor, right? You're making a difference. You're being noticed. Secondly, I say, if you want to feel better about yourself, go Google my name. Because when you do... <laughs> Sean Hannity's a moron.com. Sean Hannity's Satan.com. Sean Hannity's Lucifer on steroids.com. Whatever it happens to be. Yeah. So whatever switch I'm supposed to have that gives a flying rip, I would say otherwise, you know, but I'll be I'll be I'll I'll be on my R-rated side today. Hey, th hey this is podcast land. You can say whatever you want, man. We don't even we I don't give a shit. There's your answer. <laughs> I don't care. Go. The switch doesn't exist. Now, on the other hand, I have an 18-year-old daughter and a 21-year-old son. Now, my only concern, honestly, is for them. I don't even care about like my extended family or my sisters. They know who I am. They know me. And when people make false allegations or attack you, you know, I, my kids are so used to it that, I, it, honestly, at this point, I don't even go to them with it because they usually don't hear about it. My son will hear about it only if it's on bar stools. Dad, you're on bar stools today. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that means right. I, I guess I've made it, right? Sign of the times, man. She, she, they, thankfully, they don't care. Sometimes you got it. I have to explain to them. And I remind them too that there might be people that know that they're related to me, that they're my kids, that may not like me. And you, I always warn them the upside and downside. There's a lot of upside for them, but that for me, um, I didn't grow up with famous parents. I grew up with my mom, a prison guard, my dad, a family court probation guy and a waiter on the weekends. So it's very different, but it's all they've known also. They've been, at, they've been at events with 20 plus thousand people in arenas that I've, I've been hosting. So they've seen the people that are also invested as I am in what I love the most, which is this country and, and the things that I believe in and the passion and the freedom and the liberty of America and the dream that is America, because I am that dream. And, uh, you know, I can talk more about that later if you want. But so I don't have the switch. Yeah. I don't care. I care about my kids when they're impacted by it. everyone else. I don't care. So you mentioned a little bit about your upbringing and uh, by the way, wait, one second. don't ever not? don't ever yeah. hit Google alert. That says Dave Rubin. Don't put that on your no, phone. No, no, no. Don't read Twitter. I can't even. I have no access to my social media accounts. I have to go through an army of people before I can send out my own tweet. 
I have no passwords. Now I see how you. Now I see how you have that great hairline because you're not on Twitter. That's clearly the, <laughs> the answer. That's clearly the answer. Uh, so a couple a couple weeks ago, I was on the show with you with Dan Bongino, and I mentioned I I was googling something right beforehand, and I saw that you were born in New York City. It turned out that Dan was born in Queens, and I was born in Brooklyn. And and I mentioned it on air, and I thought you know maybe there really is something there that people born in New York for out for as out of whack especially as New York City under de Blasio is, and, and Cuomo as governor, for as out of whack as New York is, maybe there really is something special about New York. Can, can you talk about that a little bit? Because you're a true New York guy. You still live in New York? You can add to that, like Bill O'Reilly, right? You can add to that a yeah. guy, Tom Likas. Island, yeah. Tom Likas was a highly successful host nationally and, and started and spent a lot of his career in Los Angeles. Um, it probably has to do with being very outspoken, now, I, I left New York and pursued a whole other life. I was, I was out of New York 16 years, and I started radio. You probably weren't born yet, Dave. Uh, 1987 was the first time I got behind a radio microphone. Close? I was 11, Hannity. Come on. What, uh, you're what? <laughs> 11. You were, 11. You were 11. 11. Okay. You look great. It's, you know why? Because you have a lot slicker hair than I do, and you've got to be using Just for Men, and I've never used Just for Men, so I'm teasing. No, nothing. No, this, nothing. This is all natural. No, all natural. You got it right here. Some people used to write me, is your hair real? And I'd let be pulling it on air. Yeah, it's real. Um, but, you know, I like, I like outspoken people. I like people that are not afraid to express their views. And honestly, if you go through your life, and you, you, you care about what people think about you, and it stifles you, and it silences you, and it boxes you in. Either, I always say on radio and TV, I'm on the air four hours a day. I'm now, this is all extemporaneous, our discussion here today, right? And you can't fake it for four hours a day. People see through BS. They see it. And... What you hear and what you see is what you get. Radio's more of a warmth heart medium. I have three hours. TV, I have an hour. It's fast paced. It's a lot of news. We're getting a ton of information in it. And, um, and I feel like we're doing work that nobody else in the media is doing. People like yourself, and you mentioned Dan Bongino, help out a lot. You, you know, you've been a phenomenal addition to the show. So, but I don't want to live my life giving a flying rip what some idiot keyboard warrior in their underwear in their parents' basement at 60 years old cares about me or says about me anonymously on some social media site. That's why I have no access to any of it. I don't ever read it. You just handed us the clip. That's the promo clip. I mean, that was tailor-made promo clip right there, the guy in his underwear. Not me, the keyboard warriors that are psycho. Oh, Oh, not you. Ah, no, okay. not Hannity. Um, Hannity's not in his basement in his underwear anonymously typing out, I hate Hannity. That's not me. Oh, all right. Well, they'll, they'll still come after you for it. Um, Probably. Does, does the grind of it, the fact that you're doing all those hours on the radio, then you're doing your hour at night, and that you always have to have something to say. And I know with you that it is authentic, but that the, you know, we went from uh, you know, network news to ultimately cable news, then it was 24 hours, and now in effect, it's every time Trump tweets. I mean, we're in a five-second news cycle now. 
Do, do, do you think any of that is, is actually part of the problem right now, sort of why we're all kind of crazed about politics? I'm for more information, not less information. I can tell you when I first started in radio, I mentioned that the light went on the first time, I believe it was 87, no, long, no later than 88, which makes me 32 plus years in radio. It's a long time. And right. I remember my first professional radio gig where I actually got some money was in Huntsville, Alabama. I started in California. And by the way, when anyone starts in radio, you're terrible. And I was trying to, you know, I guess, I wasn't as authentic. I was trying to. There's a great scene in Howard Stern's uh, Private Parts, right? If you've ever watched, that's my life. I live oh, the I've same seen, life I've seen he it a did. Million times. That, except I do a different form of radio, right? Very different. But yeah. I know what it's like when you start out radio. All right, here's the weather: hazy, hot, humid. A chance by late afternoon thunderstorms. Uh, right now it's 78 degrees, sunny. Chance of storms. And more of the hits of the 70s, 80s, and 90s coming up right here on WWW or whatever, right? You just want... Remember, it was, it was WNBC. WNB in his case, yeah. But he shows that. And I did that. I mean, when I started. You're terrible when you start. That It was interesting because you're starting in this whole... There's a whole other path that wasn't open to somebody like myself. But there were more opportunities. There actually were talk radio stations that hired young guys, sort of like the farm league, that maybe one day some of them might be able to get to a bigger market. And, you know, I started, I got thrown out of town in California. I deserved it. Totally, you know, awful. Uh, I go to Huntsville, Alabama. I arrived there in 1990. And then I worked there two years and I went to audition uh, in Atlanta for two nights. I got hired. I spent four wonderful years in the city of Atlanta. I'd love to talk about that. I, I got to I got to know these civil rights leaders. Mm. You know, we recently lost John Lewis. I have nothing politically that I agree with John Lewis, except that, and, and the first day in Atlanta, I got a call to my radio show from then Mayor Maynard Jackson. But I got to know Joseph Lowry the SCLC, they all come on my program. The mayor would come on my program. Hosea Williams was my favorite guest ever, really close friend of, of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, John Lewis, Andy Young, and I don't think Andy liked me much, but but all these guys I, I knew when I got to know their story, and it was one of great courage and conviction. And, and if you look at Selma to Montgomery, if you look at fire hoses and dogs, and I learned this lesson, you see the, the peaceful protests of that time, they helped make this a more perfect union. They put mm -hmm. it all on the line. Here's an interesting side note to this, you know, because we watched the eulogy with Obama, this, uh, the eulogy Obama gave at, at the John Lewis uh, remembrance, and all the politics that he brought up, which I found outrageous, yeah. Out, just it was a political speech. It was. It was awful. Yeah. But he talked about the John Lewis extension of the Voting Rights Act. And I'm thinking, well, hang on a second, because the guy that's leading your ticket, Joe Biden, the ever corrupt, ever forgetful, ever out of it, Joe Biden. Uh, well, Joe Biden says his mentor and his dear friend was Robert Byrd, the former Klansman. By the way, Hillary said it. Bill said it. Schumer said it. Pelosi said it. So they're talking. So so 
Former President Obama is talking about these historic bills that John Lewis absolutely, along with so many others, bravely fought for and made us a more perfect union. Not perfect, we still have a long way to go. But so, and yet they're talking about the act, but the guy that's running actually supported the guy that filibustered that historic legislation. People don't know, and this drives me nuts. Every two years, every four years, what do they say about Republicans? It's every election cycle. Republicans are racist, sexist, misogynist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic. Uh, they want dirty air and water. A Paul Ryan lookalike, it'll probably be a Donald Trump lookalike this year, is going to take Granny in a wheelchair after she's only eaten dog or cat food for a year and throw her over the cliff in the wheelchair. That's every two and four years. It is atrocious. I went through on Hannity this week a history of how this happens every two and four years. Well, the Civil Rights Act, Lyndon Johnson needed, and the Voting Rights Act, 80% Republicans, 80% Republicans in the House and Senate, and then you have the mentor of their Democratic presidential candidate praising the guy that filibustered that bill. I mean, that's madness to so, me. That, that's the so guy that I when integration people... was coming up, talked about... Uh, uh, kids and integration of school as a racial jungle that he was worried about. Yeah. Well, Donald yeah. Trump I mean, this said is, this. I mean, this is an actual quote. This is an actual quote. So I think a lot of people are waking up to this. And I think that's partly because suddenly, well, suddenly people can see the clips online where in the, in the old days you couldn't really see the clips, right? What do you think happened to the Republicans or to the GOP or to conservatives that let this thing get so confused that the reality of the history compared to the way it's it's portrayed is that purely just a media concoction or do the republicans have some blame there themselves no republicans generally republicans have gotten weak i'll give you an example i i said they're weak they're timid they're spineless they're visionless i said that for a long time uh when republicans finally elected when we finally got a Republican president that would repeal and replace Obamacare, where were the Republicans that voted 60-some-odd times to repeal and replace? They disappeared, and they never even had an alternative in place. I had an alternative, you know, either Patient Power, a Cato Institute book by, by Musgrave and Goodman that I've read years ago, or a doctor that I often put on my show, uh, Dr. Josh Umber, who, mm -hmm. who created in Wichita, Kansas, a healthcare cooperative. It's only 50 bucks a month, 24-7 concierge care. He negotiates directly with pharmaceutical companies. Guess what? 50 bucks a month for an adult, 10 bucks a month for a child. Doctor available 24-7. You walk out with the medicines at a 90, 95% reduced rate. You add that with a catastrophic plan. If God forbid you have a heart attack, cancer, or uh, a, a bad accident, they, were all, they weren't ready. And then the senators actually voted, Republican senators, seven of them, voted for the exact same bill they had voted for two years, that they voted on two years prior, just a straight repeal bill. Now, when it meant something, it didn't mean anything. So I'm angry at them for that. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of Republicans allowing this, this false narrative to go forward, I do it every election year, Dave. I, I show the same clips. There's a 1998 Missouri radio ad. I, I went through this this week. If you elect Republicans, you know, a cross is going to burn. Or the James Byrd mm -hmm. ad in 2000 that, that said, it's like my father was killed all over again.
because George Bush didn't support hate crime legislation uh, with this horrific dragging death of this innocent man, James Byrd. But George Bush, Bush did support the death penalty, so he wanted the guy dead, you know, for that yeah. crime, for that inhumanity, that evil. And, you know, or Al Gore goes before a predominantly African-American audience and he's, he changes his tone, his pitch, his cadence. It's, to me, it's like, really? Tries to sound like right, he's a yeah. preacher in a, in a, a predominantly African-American church. Republicans have the wrong agenda for African-Americans. They don't even want to count you in the census. Or Hillary Clinton, same thing. Prominent, predominantly African-American audience. I don't feel no ways tired. I mean, well, what is this? She's got hot sauce, Sean. She's got hot sauce in her bag. Don't forget that. Oh, I, I do remember that. Yes, indeed. indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or they're going to put you all back in chains. So this is the playbook. I told everybody as I started the year and before I went on vacation at the end of the last year, it's coming. They will do it. It's the playbook. Dirty air, dirty water, racist, sexist, misogynist, straight on through. That's what frustrates me about Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney, the very same people he's now embracing are the very same people that said he was a racist and a sexist and a misogynist. So it's, and it's frustrating. The same people he was running. He had, he had binders full of women. They said he's a misogynist now. Now he's the hero. So is that- Binders, by the way, were women's, women's resumes so he could hire them. Okay. Geez, sorry, I have a, a resume. That doesn't make it into the tweets, though. You know, Twitter, it's short, so you know. Yeah, you gotta yeah. pick, you gotta I wouldn't know. I'm off it. I'm in Twitter hell, Twitter prison. You're you're smart, man. Listen, but is that what you just described right there? The the repetitious nature of the way this goes cyclically every couple of years and the rest of it is that why you became such a Trump guy more than anything else because he just was like, he clearly saw it. It's very obvious to me as a guy that did not support Trump last time, that it's very obvious. obvious. So I, look, I'm here in California where my vote is sort of useless in a certain regard. So I voted for Gary Johnson, who was, you know, he's a nice guy, but he was a terrible candidate, but but that, but here we are. Um, That being said, uh, is that it for you? Was that the thing that lit in your brain with Trump that it was like, he will fight that? And that is the most evil thing. That, and because and you're, because no, you're asking great questions. It, yeah. So there are certain points of my career, crossroads points, if you will, that I think define moments that I think maybe the, in terms of the work that I, I have done, if it's any good or not, I'll let other people judge it. But when nobody else would vet Barack Obama in 2007 and eight and look into his background of Frank Marshall Davis. And com- what, what is a community organizer? What is Alinsky? Who's Alinsky? Uh, what are Alinsky tactics? What's ACORN? What is black liberation theology that he wrote about in his book that so inspired him, the audacity of hope? Who is this preacher he sat in the pews of the 20 plus years? Who is Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn of the Weather Underground, a domestic terrorist organization involved in numerous bombings, that he started his political career in their home. Imagine if any Republican had ever had the history of any of this, what would happen? So as it relates to the president, what I saw, and I think what others saw, I'm not a registered Republican. I'm a registered conservative like you. We're, we're both very stupid. 
because you need to get the hell out of California with the regulation and taxation. And I'm so stupid, I'm in the uh, shift hole of New York, <laughs> and I need and with high taxes and burdensome regular, I need to get out of here. Every year, my account always you says, like "Don't you like fighting from the belly of the beast?" Because I'm, I'm kind of. I don't I'm like getting of, robbed. It's crazy. They're robbing yeah, me yeah. blind. Uh, I mean, and stupidly, and I, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm going to get out of here. Uh, but you know what they take in taxes and how difficult they make. If I told you what I paid in property taxes, your head would spin around in, in circles and you would projectile vomit, you know, green pea soup like uh, the exorcist. It's, so, it's, yeah, it's yeah. insane. But what I, I knew Donald Trump for 25 years. He would come on my local radio show in New York City when I was on at night. He would come on when I was on an afternoon drive before I was syndicated, when I just started at Fox. And I got to know the person, the man. Now, he was a little more left when I met him, but he was becoming more and more right. And I'll tell you where we really, really connected. It was over a disagreement. Nobody's ever, nobody's gotten this out of me before, so this is new. And the disagreement was my support, which I don't regret, of after 9-11, the war on terror. And, but I can see in retrospect, in many ways, he was right. Now, we don't, we didn't have the sophisticated ability of drone strikes as we do today. When I went to Baghdad, I saw the, my first drone. It was not at that point being used like it is today. You can ha- future wars are going to be fought like, it's going to be like uh, Call of Duty. And you're just going to be, yeah. you're going to have a command center in Tampa, Florida, and people are going to press buttons. They're looking at a satellite shot or like a Jason Bourne movie. Boom, they're going to hit it and you'll hit your target. End of the war. So it got complicated as it went on longer. Once you're involved, then, you know, it's hard to get out. I supported the surges. I, I, I like George W. Bush. I know he did the best he could. He was a wartime president. Worst terrorist attack in American history. Trump's point was that, well, okay, if we're going to fight the war... Let's take the oil, make them pay for it. That's not a dumb idea. And he was, he was like, this is, these long-term protracted conflicts can't happen. Now, I would argue in retrospect, military technology has made that style of warfare. It's completely outdated. We better keep modernizing our military, which Donald Trump is doing. And if we're going to fight wars, we better win them. I don't want to see kids going door to door in Baghdad again and having their legs and their arms blown off and and leaving with these horrific injuries that they have. And I I do believe these other countries, if we help them, pay us. If we're going to save you, pay us. I do believe that the president's right about that. Or Obama put in place what, what, what and Biden did the rules of engagement. They put handcuffs on our military. If we're going to go to war, go to war, win the war, and get the hell out. And that means that there are going, that you're going to, there's going to be collateral damage. If it's that bad that our national security and national interests are at stake and it's that high, then go fight it, win it with overwhelming force. The reason the president beat back the caliphate in Syria is because he, he took off the handcuffs that had been put on by Biden and Obama, and he drove out the caliphate completely from Syria. 
He used modern technology. We knocked out Soleimani on a tarmac. You know, he was on a commercial flight. Most people don't know the Soleimani. They followed him through. the. They could have taken that, that commercial airliner out of the sky and taken him with it. But we are a country that loves and respects innocent human life. But as soon as he was on the tarmac and we had a red dot on him, satellite imaging, we took the shot, we took him out. We took out Baghdadi and associates. We took out the Al-Qaeda leader in Yemen. So that's sort of the future. But our, our, the beginning of our relationship started on disagreement. Because he would get mad at some of the things I was saying on air. And we talked privately. And that's how our friendship began. But I also began to notice, and, and again, I was proud of what I did with Obama. I'm proud of seeing where this was going with Donald Trump because I knew him. And I put everything on the line because I was telling my conservative friends, he's, well, Hannity donated to Hillary. Hannity, he uh, said this about this Democrat. Hannity, uh, legitimate arguments. He said he was pro-choice. Now he's saying he's pro-life. Why do you believe him? Because I knew it was true. I knew it was real. I knew it was sincere. And the other thing that I knew about him, if he says something, he means it, and he's going to follow through on it. He's one of these guys that if you make a deal with him, it is a deal. He'll do his part, and he'll deliver to the best of his ability. And so, listen, I had a lot of conservatives furious with me, telling me he doesn't mean it on judges. He doesn't mean it on the wall. He doesn't mean it on tax cuts. He's not going to cut out all the regulation. Uh, he doesn't mean it on energy. He doesn't mean it on health care. He meant all of it, and he did all of it to the extent that he possibly could, and very successfully. And that is not a story that the mainstream media will ever tell about the guy. So I knew, I, I put, if I have conservative credentials, if I have them, whatever people might say or not, I put it on the line and I told my conservative audience, he will govern as a conservative. I've been proven right. And, I, and you know, that's a, that's a, hey, I'm putting it all on the line like I did with Obama. So for a guy that is governing like a conservative, that's, that's pretty obvious at this point. One of the things that we've talked about a couple of times on your show is what's happening in Portland, in Seattle, in Chicago, in New York, just the crazy situations of violence and murder and everything else because of these progressive policies, which by the way, years ago, well, well before I knew you, when I would flick on your show, you were basically the only guy that was talking about the, the black on black crime in Chicago. And nobody, and everyone would, what would they do? They would call you racist for it, for even bringing it up. You'd say, well, 30 black people died this weekend and they would call you the racist for it. Um, but are you, are you concerned at all that, that optics wise, when Trump then sends in uh, the National Guard and, and we get federal troops and these things, that this is playing into the hand that, oh, well, you see, he's, he's the authoritarian. He's the guy that wanted to throw all the, all the federal troops into the cities. Well, when Obama said this week that federal troops are using tear gas and batons on peaceful protesters, that's not true. And in spite of all the video evidence of Jerry Nadler saying, this is a myth, he actually said it, or who would ever think that a major party presidential candidate would say the words, the police are the enemy? Like what? And supporting defunding the police I mean, Joe Biden has yet to say a good thing about the 99% of policemen and women that protect and serve their cities. All of them put their lives on the line for all of us every single day. And so you, you, you ask a great question. Uh, 
Donald Trump has not sent in the National Guard unless they request it. He's been begging New York City and Chicago and Portland and Seattle, begging them, let us help you restore law and order and safety and security. You can't pursue happiness, Dave Rubin, without law and order and a safe community. If you're a one-year-old shot in a park in New York, dead in a stroller, or an eight-year-old little girl killed in Atlanta because the, her mom made a wrong turn into the chop zone near where the Wendy's, that street had been taken over, a new autonomous zone, um, and that little girl in the back of the car died after getting shot in the head, or a seven-year-old beautiful girl in Chicago died on the 4th of July weekend uh, while at her grandmother's house, you know, playing on the 4th of July, or Horace Lorenzo Anderson uh, Jr., 19 years old, and his father, that heart-wrenching interview that I had with him, um, mm -hmm. it killed me because my, my kids are 18 and 21. Anyway, so the answer is he's offering. Now, that's separate and apart from the, we're talking about 100 troops that are being sent in to protect federal property and federal courthouses. That's not only their job, but their obligation, because they were trying to burn them to the ground. Uh, they're not there to restore law and order to the cities because the mayors refuse to do it. What do, what do all of these cities we're talking about, New York, Chicago, Portland, Seattle, Los Angeles, the city of Atlanta, what do they all have in common? They've all been run by liberal Democrats for decades. Yeah. Now, if you believe as I do, and I get into a lot of this in the book, which is over your shoulder. Yeah, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. I promise. Oh, promise. Yeah, no, but, but that actually does <laughs> well, this, this does color a lot of the stuff in the book. A lot of it. it. But if you believe in our founding document, our founding document is our declaration, right? Some people think it's the Constitution. No, the founding document. What, what does it say? I can remember it, unlike, you know, Kooky Joe. Uh, my, my favorite clip of all these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created Oh, by the thing, you know, the, the, thing, the, the thing, thing, the thing, God, Joe, God, every, the creator of everything. All right. Oh, that scared me. So, the but thing. if you believe in that, what, what does that line mean? Endowed by our creator means that God rights for all of us. And I believe this with my mind, my heart, my soul, they come from God. They don't come from man. They don't come from government. And that life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. How Dave Rubin, you tell me, how do you pursue happiness if you're living in those cities and you're not safe in a park or your grandma's backyard on the 4th of July or if your mom makes a wrong turn on a city street uh, or if your son is in the summer of love zone, as Mayor Durkin said, how do you pursue happiness if you don't have basic law, order, safety, security? How do you pursue happiness in all of these cities, what is one other commonality? They all have the worst educational records of most cities in the world. We pay more per capita for education than any other country in the industrialized world. These cities have this income. We have failed our children. If you look at a ladder, I used to be a contractor, right? You have the rungs of the ladder, right? Okay, you take away that education and I'll give you a little bit of my, ba my background. I learned Latin. I went to a seminary in high school, and the word education from the Latin derivative at Ducre to bring forth from within. So if we believe that God gives you rights, 
if education is to bring forth from what is already there from God, talents he gave you, well, you need safety, security, you need education. So, okay, Joe Biden is saying that the government's going to take care of everything you ever want in your life. He's going to take care of a guaranteed job at a guaranteed wage and K through college education and forgive student loans and government guaranteed vacations and government guaranteed healthy food. And you're going to have government guaranteed health care and you're going to have a government guaranteed retirement. And you don't have a worry in the world. I'll get to the psychology of that. Okay, what is the track record in these liberal cities that have been run by liberals for decades, which is what Joe Biden adopting Bolshevik Bernie socialism and AOC's new Green Deal and and Bezo Bozo, as I call him, O'Rourke, and Bozo's gun confiscation plan. All right, so in these cities, they don't give security or safety. In these cities, they fail spectacularly when it comes to education. Specific example, the city of Baltimore, 13 public high schools. You want to venture a guess? what percentage in the 13 schools, not 13 kids, 13 public high schools, what percentage of kids in those schools, and you don't have to answer, it's not a trick question. I'll, I'll ballpark it, I'll try just to see. Do you believe are proficient in math and reading? Matt, let's start with math. I mean, I, I'm gonna guess, I'm gonna go obviously crazily low. It's, I'm gonna guess, what's it like 10%, something like that? Not one child in 13 public high schools. Baltimore spends, they're the third highest per capita for student spending in the world. Not one kid in 13 schools? Okay, here's the ladder. Why don't you just take a, a sledgehammer, rip out all the rungs and, and beat out both sides of it because you don't have an education. So they don't provide security, safety, law, order. They don't provide education. All right, what else has government done for us? If we're going to put all our hate, if we're going to believe Joe Biden and Bernie's socialist utopia and AOC's new green deal, okay, and they're going to take care of every single need we have in life, okay, how's Social Security doing, Dave Rubin? Because the last I check, you're screwed. I'll probably get something until they means test it because it's headed towards bankruptcy. They'll raise the retirement age to about 30 seconds before you die, you'll be eligible or they'll means test it and you'll have paid in 50 years and they'll rob you, they'll legally rob you. How's Medicare going? That's headed for bankruptcy. How did that Obamacare promise thing work out? Keep your doctor, keep your plan and save money. The average American will save $2,500 per family per year. Well, we now know what Biden care, Obamacare did. We had millions of Americans, they lost their doctors, millions lost their plans and we're all paying on average about 200% more. And it's even worse because there's almost 40% of the country that only has one Biden-Obamacare exchange opportunity. There's only one choice. In other words, there's no choice because all these companies mm -hmm. said, we can't, this doesn't work, we can't do this. So if you look at all of the promises that government have made up to this point, and you look at the results, they don't keep any promises. You know, I, I have a chapter in the book, Socialism, A History of, of, of Failure. Well, the reason I put, I actually, I very, I did it purposefully. Did a chapter on what makes America great. Well, you know, American exceptionalism. Ben, it's Ben Franklin, a republic if you can keep it. Well, 
Reagan said, freedom is but one generation away from extinction, right? We all, we, all our generations have to fight for it. You're in the much younger generation. I was graduating, you were born in 19 what? 76. Okay, I was graduating grammar school in 1976, just to give you some perspective. And uh, it was the bicentennial at the time. Um, yeah, oh yeah. It was. And, you know, you, you look at, I lost my trend of thought here. But I'm just looking at all the things that they're offering. Oh, here it is. So the, I talk about America and what made us great and successful. That while we're not a perfect nation, we're the country that abused power the least, as my friend Barry Barber said, after accumulating power. I add to that, we have taken all of the power America's accumulated, and what do we do with it? We beat back the forces of fascism and Nazism and communism and imperial Japan. We, we, we protected freedom. The history of socialism is promises just like the Green New Deal, just like Obamacare, just like, you know, uh, the educational system. And all the promises made, all these socialist utopias, I don't care if it's Mao, and the revolution, I don't care if it's the Bolshevik revolution, and I go through great detail in each case, I don't care if it's East Germany, well, people, they have a wall built and the East Germans wanna get the hell out and they're willing to get shot or risk getting shot trying to get over to West Germany where the life is much better with freedom. Um, I don't care if it's Cuba or Venezuela, the promises are all there. The reality, the truth of it is, for every bit of security you get, promised, you lose your freedom, and they never fulfill the promise. You don't have to have a Harvard degree or be an MIT mathematician or engineer to figure out, holy crap, this doesn't add up, 94 trillion in 10 years, and you're eliminating oil, gas, and, and coal, uh, and at the same time, we're offering every, everybody everything for free when we only take in four and a half trillion a year. We don't take in enough money. Simple math, 52 uh, what, trillion in 10 years for Medicare for all or Obamacare on steroids as Joe is pushing. So, but, but Sean, as AOC, as AOC said, you don't have to do what's factually correct. You have to do what's morally right. Mm-hmm. And especially when, especially when it comes by her to and the squad? the way they do it. Yeah. yeah. By, by her and the squad. So these promises, you know, this is the psychological component I teased a little bit ago. And it's this, oh, everybody feels stress in life. We can go about, my four grandparents all came from Ireland. I had my ancestry test. It was 100% British Isle, all Ireland, right? Yeah. And they said that's rare. I, did, I was like, really? And whatever. All four of my grandparents came from two counties in Ireland. My mom and dad grew up broke, poor. My dad, you mentioned Brooklyn. I'm interested where, because my dad grew up in Bed-Stuy in, in Brooklyn, really poor. Flatbush, Flatbush. Flatbush? Okay, I know a lot of, I had a, I had a few friends in Flatbush, but a little before your time. <laughs> I was incorrigible. They were incorrigible. That's why you're incorrigible. That's, that's old school Brooklyn. Old school Brooklyn, big time. But my dad grew up poor, lost his mom complications from his childbirth just a few weeks after he was born you know, shuffled around the family member after family member because his dad was working just to, you know, survive. And my mom grew up in the South Bronx. She became a prison guard. He became a family court probation guy and a waiter on the weekends. 
and it was a big deal to get out of Bed-Stuy in the South Bronx and get a 50 by 100 lot where I grew up in Franklin Square, Long Island, and, and with three older sisters in one bathroom. That's called hell on earth for me, traumatized me. I had to run out <laughs> to the bushes a lot because they were offering in there for right. hours on end with the makeup or whatever. But, but I know that I stand on their shoulders. They had no guarantees. But, they, but the, the idea of freedom to them was that they will build a better life for their children and their grandchildren. I literally know I stand on the shoulders of my parents who stand on the shoulders of my grandparents and those that came before them. Um, I never thought when I got behind a radio microphone in 1987 or 8, I forget the exact year, that... I would ever have any success. I've always felt that my radio career is going to end any day. My TV career, I'm doing my last show. This is probably my last podcast. Mm -hmm. you're, you're about to kill my career. <laughs> this is it, Hannity. You're done. Um, and I never, you know, when I worked for free in radio, I never thought I'd get anywhere with it. I just knew I loved it. The light went on, and whatever this is that you see started flying out of me. And I had to, you know, eventually you always find your own voice in, in radio and TV, your own individuality. You usually start out like Stern and uh, what I described, you know, earlier is, all right, hello, today's weather, hazy, hot, humid, you know, chance of the afternoon, thunderstorms. You know, we all do that stupid radio thing. Yep, yep. But anyway, um, but then I just pursued it because I loved it. Not expecting any success. My first paid job was 19 grand a year in Huntsville, Alabama. Went to, you know, Atlanta after that. Then I started doing, believe it or not, I was on fake news CNN all the time because they needed somebody who, you know, kind of drop a little a little controversy into their shows. And I used to go down there, they'd call me, all right, can you come do the 12 o'clock show? Can you do the 1 o'clock show? Um, and I, I went there a lot, and that led to opportunities in New York, which, you know, I've, I've, I got very blessed and very fortunate. And when I started at Fox, I remember saying to my friend, do you think, you think we'll last three years? We'll get three years out of this? No, it's now year 25. So, they, but they did all right. All I right. thank those, my parents and grandparents. They made it possible. They took the risk. They lived the hard life. My, mine's hard too. I'm not going to lie. This is not, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm grinding 24 7. Yeah. The, the stakes are probably a little fancier, but, you know. It's, uh, it's pretty good. Well, to know the truth, good. I was so, happy well, I, I, when I, oh, I was happy going to Tad's Steakhouse when I first moved to New York. It's like eight bucks. You get a T-bone steak, potato, and a vegetable. I was like, this is heaven. Does Tad I won't tell you why I for a steak now. Does that place still exist? I remember the one in Times Square. I used to have, last I used to have to hand out. No, it just went away. It just the last one went down. Uh, How long ago? About a year ago. I I I wasn't. It was like two years ago. I sent my assistant go get me a Tad steak. Just for, just because I liked it. That was it. It's a greasy Times Square steak. So, well, I love oh, the fact right. that you just told the story of your family because, you know, I go into that into, in my book as well, that we are, we all are, you know, my great-grandparents fled Europe and then my grandfather grew up one bedroom, six kids. His father died when he was two. He was lower middle class. My parents were middle class. I'm doing all right. I mean, it's it's the beautiful thing. But let's let's link all of this to your book because what we've been talking about here, it sort of all is bouncing around the book. But you and I share one special thing in common beyond the New York thing, which is that we do see the progressive movement 
as the greatest threat to liberty and freedom and, and everything else we've spoke about here. Uh, for some of my pure YouTube people, they probably don't know, you used to host a show with Alan uh, Combs, who was a uh, liberal. He was a liberal, he's passed on since. But you were the conservative, he was the liberal, and I would say he was more of an old school liberal. He wasn't a sort of crazy bananas lefty. No, let me fix and that. I just wonder, he was crazy I just left. Oh. He, he drove me crazy. Listen, the nicest man in the world, heart of gold, yeah. but he, he actually believed that crap, and it drove me crazy. But we ended up getting along. We had a good run. Was he really, I see it, maybe, maybe that maybe is a little bit of just my memory as a kid, but I. He was pretty hardcore. We used to try and rein right. him in a little so, bit. Yeah. So, so all right. So whether he was crazy lefty or whatever, I assume you you recognize that there once were sort of sane liberals. You just kind of disagreed with them. Is is that fair to say? Yeah, I was telling Joe Pollock this, and uh, I like from Breitbart in an interview I did with him. I knew there used to be we call them Scoop Jackson Democrats, right? Or yeah. more more modern times. Nobody knows what I'm talking about, but or Joe Lieberman. When Joe Lieberman, who I happen to be friends with, loved the guy, nice human, wonderful human being, wonderful family, and he and I share a passion, you know, for Israel, uh, you know, our, our closest ally in the Middle East, the only democracy in the region, and he also stood strong against radical Islamic terrorism, which, it is a real threat to the world. The reason the Iranians now, or you have this new alliance that might have been unimaginable five years ago between the U.S., Israel, the Saudis, Jordan, the Egyptians, the Emirates, is because they understand, you know, the threat of Iranian hegemony and their pursuit of nuclear weapons. That is a that is a, a clear and present danger for the world. So something that maybe was unheard of even five years ago, you know, this is a real alliance, a real threat that Iran poses. I've been best, I've known Bibi Netanyahu, man, I, I, that goes back 30 years, 25 years, like with, with President Trump. And I've been to Israel a number of times and, uh, um, you know, I've learned so much history being there. but. There's been no president, by the way, that's done more for Israel, that's done more for religious freedom, that's done more for, for any of these pivotal issues than Donald J. Trump. Best friend Israel ever had has been Donald Trump. The best friend Christians in America has ever had has been Donald Trump. The best friend of religious freedom has been Donald Trump. As, as evidenced by his so actions. So you're telling me Trump's not an anti-Semite? He's not a racist? He's not a homophobe? I can't believe it, Sean. That's what they tell me. Well, I read the same stuff you do. That's what they say about us too. They attack us all. Here's the thing, but that party is so extreme now. When that old Democratic Party's gone, when they went against Joe Lieberman, I'm like, wow, nice guy. He has a different view on foreign policy and they defeated him in the primary. He ran as an independent and he won. And you know, I think it speaks volumes. There's, there, there are no moderates, I argue, in the Democratic Party today. They don't exist. Not, not with this bunch that we now have. And that's the danger. You know, you want to go bring this full circle here. That is now the danger of if Biden wins, here's what we get. 
his stated policy. He's chosen his economic czar, actually plagiarized it, which he has a long history of plagiarism, uh, Bernie Sanders' radical socialism for the economy. He's adopted and pledged trillions of dollars to AOC's Green New Deal. He's, he's Bezo Bozo, as I said earlier, he's the gun czar. Then you add Pelosi, Schumer, and Biden, you got 125 years of failure. I have a question for everyone that watches your podcast. Can you tell me one thing Joe Biden has done for 47 years in the swamp? One thing. One thing you can, one accomplishment you can point to that you could say, Joe Biden made that happen and we're better off because of it. Because I can give you, a, you know, chapter and verse and a list as long as you want about what Donald Trump accomplished well, in less than four years. He got He got his son a pretty good gig at a gas company in Ukraine. That counts as something, right? Zero experience, Hunter. Quid pro quo Joe. Yes, you watch the show. <laughs> um, do you think Biden is, is going to be the nominee? Like, I'm still... He is the nominee. I've been, I've been saying it for months. Like, they could just take him out at any moment, or he'll announce that he can't do it, or they'll say it's a medical thing. Or, or do you think they're really just trying to smuggle him in so that the VP can be in charge or the party apparatus or whatever else? When have we ever watched a candidate that gets the party nomination, usually, historically, and, and Donald Trump is the exception. He, he campaigned for the primary one way, he stayed campaigning the same way in the general, he won and, he, and then he fulfilled his promises. Historically, it's been, you go right, you go left, and then when the general election comes, after you get the nomination, you'll move to the center. He's so weak, this is a sign of real weakness. Exactly. Right, well, he had to, Bernie people are not, still not supporting him, even though he actually plagiarized their economic agenda. You know, there's still members of the squad that are not supporting Joe Biden. Um, are the Democrats capable of anything? Well, they dragged the country down the sewer with three years of a total setup, abuse of power, conspiracy theories, and a hoax when we now know they knew from day one there was never, ever, ever any Russia collusion. The only collusion was Hillary Clinton's dirty Russian misinformation dossier that was then used to, to in these FISA applications, premeditated fraud on a court for the purpose of taking away Carter Page's civil liberties, constitutional rights, and spying on Trump's campaign, his transition team, and deep into his presidency. And I hope we're going to get justice because we need justice before the 2020 election and know, need to know exactly what went on in 2016. Do, do you think they're going to keep pushing on that? Because it almost seems like I've, right. I've, interviewed, I've interviewed Rick Grinnell a couple of times and we've talked about this and, and he firmly believes everything that you just said there and he was the acting intelligence secretary. He did so an amazing part, job. Part of me, he shut well, his big classification was huge. Right, but part of me sort of feels like they're going to let it go no matter what because there's so much crap flying around the country. I mean, we've just done an hour. We didn't even talk about coronavirus for a second, um, which by the way, people will say to me, Ruben, you're going on Hannity's show. He's such an extremist and Corona. And I'm, every time I'm on there with you, you're screaming about everyone putting on a mask at a supermarket. And you know, I'm here and I'm like, ah, with the masks, whatever. Um, well, I, um, I say that for a reason though. I mean, you, if you're interested, but uh, you want to, we can go yeah. into that in a minute. You want to finish your other thoughts? Yeah, well, why don't, why, why don't we finish up with that? But, but the point being that I sense they're going to sort of let the stuff that Obama's administration did go 
because there's just so much other stuff right now and we can only, as a nation, we can kind of only deal with so many problems at once. That may not be right or just, but it, it just strikes me as sort of how it is. I think, it's, it is. I think it's downright dangerous. It, look, because what you're then saying is, is that we have a dual justice system. What you're saying is we don't have equal justice under the law. What you're saying we would be accepting is we don't have e equal application of our laws. Because based on what we know now is they knew Hillary violated the Espionage Act. This is the great hypocrisy of Democrats today. It blows my mind. To be a Democrat or to be part of the mob and the media. Oh, you take a sip finally. I've been taking sips all night. Go, go crazy over there. Except, the except media we're on mob. YouTube now. This is, this is vodka, man. Yeah, okay. Well, you could have told me. I would have had a drink with you because I love, I like Tito's. That's my favorite vodka. Um, so what, what do you have to be to be a Democrat? You have to ignore Hillary Clinton's violation of the Espionage Act, 18 U.S.C. 793. It's insane that I have that tattooed in my brain. Uh, you have to forget that subpoenaed emails were deleted and then bleach bit and then the hammers. But you'll accuse Trump. You'll be all out, feigning all the outrage over Trump and the Mueller report not giving a final conclusion on obstruction, which the Attorney General and Rod Rosenstein did, which is there is none. They're all concerned about Russia, 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 Russia. But they didn't give a rip about the dirty. Even the New York Times finally called it likely Russian disinformation dossier that she paid for with funneled money through a law firm to Fusion GPS, hiring Christopher Steele. Now we know that they were setting Trump up for this in August of 2016. Now we know before the first FISA application that they were warned that it's not verified. It says at the top of a FISA warrant, verified. It was unverifiable. Now it's been debunked. Now we know that they were told, don't trust Christopher Steele. He's got a political agenda. Hillary paid for it. It's unverified, but they used it anyway. And they did mm -hmm. it to spy on a presidential candidate, then transition, then team, then, then, then presidency. If we allow that breathtaking hypocrisy to go, because look what they did to Manafort. Pre-dawn raid, guns in the face of his wife, or Roger Stone, pre-dawn raid, 29 guys in tactical gear, frogmen, and CNN cameras tipped off. And I'm like, okay, Jim Comey was, there was a referral for him for lying to Congress. Where, where's his pre-dawn raid? Where's McCabe's pre-dawn raid? Where's the pre-dawn raid on a lot of these people that I've talked so much about? And in every single case, if we don't have justice here, if they get away with it, Number one, we're going to have a lot more of it. Number two, as a country, you might as well take your constitution and take it to your shredder and, and just shred it or burn it because it's meaningless. Because that is what the rule of law is supposed to be about. I am confident, I do believe, late August, early September, we are going to, there's going to be major developments because it's all out there in the open. What we now have available in the public domain, and I spent over three years on the show, three almost three and a half years, really working hard with a small ensemble cast exposing a lot of this, is enough that could lead to convening a grand jury, indictments and convictions, in my view, and in the view of everybody that I know that knows everything. So we better get to the bottom yeah. of it.
And just to be clear, I wasn't, I wasn't saying we should let it go. I was just saying that, that, that it sometimes seems that the news cycle or the national cycle deal with so many things at one time. All right, so let, let, let's finish up with some coronavirus stuff because that is one of the things. As I've, in the last year, as I've done Fox more, and especially in the last couple of months. You hate that months, I talk about masks? People, they, yeah, well, people will say, oh, you're on Fox, but they were misleading everyone about coronavirus and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, there's video of Gutfeld. I think it's the earliest that I've seen it on, on, on cable. Uh, I think it's January 28th, Gutfeld talking about coronavirus. There were many Democratic debates after that where nobody talked about it. I might have him beat. January 27th, I had Fauci on. That, I mean, that's incredible. All right, so then there you go. I'll, I'll, we're going to check that because we, we like to fact check. Like check it. Fact and I had him on um, February 10th but, but, again. But there you go. I mean, the fact that every time when I've been on your show to talk about lockdowns or whatever it may be, you make a point of saying that when you're in the stores, you're wearing a mask and that you want the people to be wearing a mask and all that. What do you make of just the general misinformation and the conflicting information? And Fauci says this one day, the CDC the next day with this, and now Twitter taking Twitter this week. He just added goggles. That was new. Stuff. Now we might need goggles. Yeah, oh, no, oh, right. Now the face shield and the goggles. Yeah. Look, all I can tell you is my own experience. And um, it's anecdotal, but to me, it speaks volumes is I remember a Saturday, it was one Saturday, and within a period of like 36 hours, there were around, I was getting reports, 18,000 new cases of corona just in Long Island. And I'm like, I, I mean, I, I remember being on the phone and I'm out there like this, I'm like, oh my God. I mean, I, I felt the weight of the world that moment on my, in my mind and my heart. I'm like, this is, this is bad. And then I'm talking to friends of mine that work in hospitals, we're, we're, we're now at capacity and we're now, we're in trouble. And I remember calling a lot of people about that at the time. And I was very concerned, but all throughout the middle of the epicenter of this, New York lost 36,000 people. We now know why, because of the dopey governor and the dopey mayor, just like the dopey governor of New Jersey and the dopey governor of Pennsylvania, and the same in Michigan. But when I would go to my grocery store, my drugstore, locally, which I'd go every single week, and every time I went there, I saw the same cashiers, I saw the same guy stocking the shelves every single time. Remember, if the packers stopped packing and the farmers stopped farming and the truckers stopped trucking, New York would have starved to death and we wouldn't have had any PPP mm. and tens of thousands more at least would have died. But they worked. We didn't shut down everything. But I would see, I actually interviewed this kid, he's 19 years old, he's named Robert. Every week I go to the store, once or twice, and every time he was there, he's stocking the shelves. You know, the once or twice, the no toilet paper. I don't know why there's always a run on toilet paper and paper towels, but I'm like, whatever. <laughs> but I'd see this kid every week, he had his mask on, he had his gloves on, everybody in the store had it. Not a single person, not one, ever contracted corona. Now, in the <laughs> middle of the biggest shift show at the height, the epicenter. I'm using it anecdotally. It works. Now, why would I wear a mask? Because what, the government's going to tell me to wear a mask? I'm not saying anybody mandate anything. I'm saying I choose to because of what I learned being in the middle of it at the time. I do it for selfish reasons and I do it for this reason. One reason is we know 
one thing that remained the same and the models were wrong and the doctors were wrong and the experts were wrong and the governors were wrong and TV pundits were wrong and everybody was wrong and China lied to the world. People forget that part of it. And so, but the one thing that remained steady and consistent, Dave, was that older people with underlying conditions and compromised immune systems, they were the most vulnerable. So that never changed all throughout this. That's why even though you have, you know, the, the second wave that hit Florida and Texas, you don't have anywhere near the death rate. It's like this, mm -hmm. you know, actually, I think Texas and Florida, what did I read this week, that combined their deaths, you know, for the whole time, didn't even match separately each state, just one day in New York. The difference is that stark, because Ron DeSantis yeah. and Governor Abbott, they, they protected the elderly population of their states. So I say it that, okay, if I want to protect grandma, grandpa, mom, and dad, and my parents and grandparents are long gone, but I don't want to infect anybody else's grandparents or parents. And I also selfishly, if it means I can go to a baseball game or a football game, and wear, but I have to wear a mask, have my temperature taken as I walk in, I'm willing to do that because I want life back to normal and I think we can do it and do it safely. And I, But the other thing is it's going to be very short term because we're getting closer and closer. Therapeutics have improved. Two studies now came out. The one study that said hydroxychloroquine is awful, they had to retract that study. The yeah. two studies that came out, the, the Ford Center, there's a, a, a system in New York, a hospital system, Dr. Raz talked about it a lot. They, they said just the opposite. Taken early with zinc and azithromycin, it dramatically saved lives. It had an impact. Taken early. President this week talking about convalescent plasma, asking people with antibodies, donate your plasma, donate your blood. I think those are for people that are a little bit sicker, which would help save, again, more lives. We never broke down the sequence of a virus as fast as we did here, which is six weeks. It used to take six years. We could actually be in a situation where we're now in the final phase trials, uh, Moderna, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, where we're, we could have within nine months a vaccine. And this is the worst pandemic since 1918. Now, add to that, what did President Trump do? Okay, all these governments, nobody was prepared for anything. But the president mobilized and the president got all the ventilators. We never ran out of ventilators, all the masks, all the gloves, all the PPE um, and built hospitals. Then he manned the hospitals, provided all the PPE for the hospitals, then converted hospitals like the Javits Center, 3000 beds. They only used a thousand or the comfort or mercy out west and converted it to COVID capability. And those idiot governors in New York, New Jersey, um, Pennsylvania and Michigan, you know, they're sending people with COVID into nursing homes, and that's where thousands and thousands and thousands of innocent people were infected that we could have saved. Just total incompetence. Donald Trump will never get credit for two things. The fastest and the biggest and largest medical mobilization in the history of mankind, and he got it done. Wasn't easy, got it done and also Operation Warp Speed, getting us to therapeutics, and now we're on the verge, I believe, of a va vaccine. And the next thing he did is something that nobody ever gives him credit for. The first identified case of corona in the United States was January 21st this year, 
The travel ban was put into effect 10 days later. The one that Biden called hysterical xenophobia and fear mongering. The Democrats were yeah. busy impeaching Donald Trump at the time when he put the travel ban in effect and subsequent travel bans and the first quarantine in effect in over 50 years. And nobody, that, it is incalculable how many tens of thousands of Americans likely would have contracted and died had he not acted that early. It would have been exponentially worse. Biden, Schumer, Pelosi, they were just out there impeaching Donald Trump. So I give him very high marks. I think it's unfair the way he's been treated. Do we do everything perfectly? No, we didn't. We, nobody knew. If, you know, I like Fauci. I think Fauci's dedicated his entire life to medicine and saving lives. His heart is, is sincere. He got it wrong. Not a criticism. China lied to the world. Um, the models, you know, first models were saying two and a half million dead Americans and it was 60,000, and it was 80,000, now it's 150,000 you know, deaths that we know so far. We have gotten better at the hot spots, we've gotten better at therapeutics, we're on the verge, I believe, of a vaccine. Masks for me were anecdotal. I'm not forcing you to wear a mask. Dave, you don't want to wear a mask? I don't give a fine rip. Don't wear a mask. Well, you're not gonna get into a baseball game I, I, or a football game. Right. Listen, I, I wear it where you have to wear it, but, I, but if I'm walking my dog and I'm not near anybody else, uh, I'm not wearing a mask, but I, I totally get you. And I don't like government mandating it. You know what? I don't. Now, if stores want to have rules and regulations, say, if you don't have a mask, we're not going to let you in. I think they have the right to say that. Um, yeah, I agree. And if, if, if stadiums want to say, you don't wear a mask, we can't let you in. If you have a high temperature, we can't let you in. It's temporary. I'd even tell older people until we really got this thing fully under control. And I think we're that close now. Just for a short period of time, the CDC uh, in the last two weeks actually put out that if everybody would volunteer, agree to wear masks for four to eight weeks, it's over. We'll wipe it out. No more hot spots. President's been pushing it and social distancing and all the things we, we talk about all the time. But the therapeutics, it's going to be medical. It's going to be freedom and liberty, which is at risk in, what, 90 whatever days, is in play here. So am I talking too much? I feel like I've just- No, sure. listen, man, you, you brought it around. You brought it around. Everything that we talked about here, even though we didn't dive into the book tremendously, everything we talk about here is exactly what the book is about because you're, you're trying to show people that, that freedom is on the precipice of going the wrong way. That's what the book is about. And you, know, you said a lot of nice things about me at the beginning. So let me just say this, that we have not we have never met in person. We have, until the 10 seconds we talked before we started this, we've never even spoke off camera before, uh, but you've become a great, a great ally and friend of mine and, and you helped me out with the book by putting me on all the time. And I hope I've added a little something to your show and we're gonna link to your book down below. So, uh, so I thank you, Sean. You've become part of our ensemble cast. You're part of our team now and you earned it. You, I remember the first time you're on, I, I wrote my producer while you were on. By the way, little secret, I can text and do shows at warp speed while I'm on the air, even reading. I'm not, I'm not at that level yet. Yeah, you will be. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's called HDHD, HD, what do you call it? ADHD on steroids. There you go. I got it right. So, but thank you for being such a good friend of our program. I, you're giving me a lot of time here. Thank you. This book is about if we lose this election, in my view, their stated agenda will destroy 
the greatest wealth producing system ever designed by man that has advanced the human condition more than all other societies ever combined before. That's what's at stake. And if you're going to vote for the president, I hope you vote down ticket. Live free or die is about really simple. Their policies of false promises will destroy the greatest country God gave man. I don't want that to happen with all my heart. The book is Live Free or Die. The link is right down below. And Sean, when you leave New York and I leave LA, I guess we're going to meet in Montana. And uh, hey, wait, say uh, Tito's, I'm open. The, Tito, the Tito's is on me. Okay, bring a lot because I can drink more than you. That's, this has really been Tito's the whole time. I just haven't slurred like Joe Biden yet. Hey, listen, honestly, you, thanks you so are much. You an Irishman. I get it. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being a, a gracious uh, host and a gracious guest on our show. And uh, your book's been phenomenal and did so well. You should be very proud. And uh, I'm very honored to have been on with you. Thank you.